Life has its ups and downs. Life can be fun. Life is sometimes hectic. And life is full of choices. Welcome to Venture, the podcast that brings the biblical truth to the ventures that we face in this world and live in today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Venture Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Wills. I'm the lead pastor at Chandler Acres Church in Bellevue, Nebraska. And uh, where we are, just a really small church. We call ourselves a micro church, but we have a mega vision to reach people uh, to be followers of Jesus Christ. And so we're thankful that you are joining us today. Uh, Today is uh, Monday, May 25th. And uh, it is Memorial Day. And so I want to take a second and just honor those that have served, uh, will serve, and are serving our great country and giving us the freedoms that, that we have, and more so to uh, honor those that have gone before us that have passed um, doing the same, fighting for our great freedom and our great country. And so thank you, those that are serving and have served. Uh, we are in the middle of a, a series called Parenthood. I hope you're enjoying it. I know I've gotten some feedback, some great feedback on um, some of the things we've been talking about. Uh, today, we're going to talk about a pretty unpopular topic, though, uh, but it's very, very necessary for, for great parenting, and that's the topic of discipline. For my wife and I, discipline was fairly easy when we only had one child. We had uh, the little... We had a little two-on-one defense going on, you know, uh, raising our kids. And then we had our second child, and we went to a man-to-man defense, and it became a little harder. So discipline uh, became a necessity, uh, even from the beginning, but more so as, as our second child came. And for those of you that have more than, than two children, uh, discipline is going to be even more important uh, to keep our kids in order and teach them things. And so the first thing we need to do is give our give you a, a working definition uh, for discipline. And so if you're kind of taking any kind of notes at all, uh, you'll be able to find it this way. Discipline is correction driven by love. It is correction, not because we are powerful parents, but it is driven by our hearts to love our children. Hebrews 12, 5 through 6 says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those that he loves. It is correction driven by love. So how important is this? Well, Proverbs 19, 18 says, Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Parents, we need to understand that there is a major battle going on for who is going to be in charge in our households, okay? And this is a battle that we must win, and we must win it decisively. If you find yourself consistently nagging, yelling, bribing, threatening, you are losing the battle. I'm just going to put it out there. You're losing that battle, and the tide must turn, and it must turn now. But you say, well, I don't want to be mean to my kids, and I don't want to have to discipline my kids all the time. Well, this is someone, what told, someone told me uh, years ago. Discipline is not something you do to them. It is something you're doing for them. It's something you're doing for them. In fact, I like the way Zig Ziglar said it. He said this, A child who has not been disciplined with love by his little world will be disciplined without love by the great big world. And, and how true is that today? Discipline, it's a correction driven by love. And so let's talk for a little while about what I call undisciplined parents. And I know that's going to feel like I'm attacking you, 
But I think, and if you really look at it, chances are you may see a little bit of yourself in some of these different examples, if not all of them. I find myself actually in all of them. And so the first is what I would call the lifeguard parents. Now, what are lifeguard parents? Well, these are the parents that often rescue a child from consequences. A lifeguard parent rescues a child from consequences. Little Johnny's in trouble. Super mom sweeps in to save the day. Oh, little Johnny, it's going to be okay. I'll save you again. It's those lifeguard parents. So how do you know if you are a lifeguard parent? Well, you are a lifeguard parent if you've delivered little Johnny his lunch three or more times in the last semester because he forgot his lunch, especially if little Johnny's a sophomore in college, okay? Then, then you're the worst kind of lifeguard parent that is out there. It's not allowing your children to face the consequences of their own sins. Now, why is it so important to let them face their consequences? Well, God's word tells us this in Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. In other words, in God's divine economy, he set up the world with a system of consequences. You live according to his word and there will be blessings. You live outside of the parameters of his word and there will be consequences. We must give our children the gift of facing the consequences of bad decisions. For example, if your kid hasn't prepared for the science project, okay, you, you don't sweep in during the last minute and save the day and do it for them. We must teach them this. If you don't prepare well, you are not as likely to succeed. If we give our kids lunch money and they take their lunch money and go spend it on something other than lunch, instead of saying, oh, you poor baby, you got to have a lunch, here's some more money. No, instead, let's say, you know what, spending your money on something else was probably not a good idea, so you know what, I think you need to skip lunch today and we'll feed you when you get home from school and we'll go from there. We don't save them from the consequences. Here's a wild idea, and I know this is controversial, and it will probably upset a lot of people, but let's say you have a 16-year-old who wants to drive. What if you said to that 16-year-old, get a job? <laughs> I know. Don't be upset. Okay, I know that's controversial and way out there because you're going, really, Pastor Dan? Make our children work in an environment where it's so common to buy 16-year-olds a $35,000 car, car for doing nothing? What if instead we said, you want some money? Work. Earn some money. Buy you a $1,000 car for cash and and oh, by the way, if you get a speeding ticket, you're going to pay for that as well. There are consequences. We're not going to bail you out. These apply all through your life. Your little kid comes up and says, Mommy, Daddy, I want a cute little adorable kitten. And you must teach them. That looks like an innocent decision now. Cute, yes. Adorable, yes. But the kitten will grow up to be a demon-possessed cat. Just put it out there, <laughs> okay? You have to teach them these things. Lifeguard parents sweep in to rescue the kids from the consequences. How many of you would say, yeah, I do that. I often rescue my kids, okay? Or you've done that in the past, all right? Let's deal with another type of undisciplined parent. I call it the etch-a-sketch parent. These are the ones that are often inconsistent. What is an etch-a-sketch parent? Well, first of all, how many of you know what an etch-a-sketch is, right? We need to go over that because there might not be, there may be some of you that are listening that never heard of an etch-a-sketch. It's a little uh, square, little box. Um, it's about the size of a typical normal-sized Bible. Um, it has these two little knobs on them, and when you turn them, one turn makes lines go up and down, and the other one makes lines go uh, left to right, okay? 
And then you make lines with it. That's all you do, and you can make designs and, and things with that. And then what happens if you shake it up is they all disappear. They erase. And so a lot of us, we've got some lines in our households, boundaries in our households, and then the next day the lines move. And our kids are saying, where are the lines? Where are the boundaries? We are inconsistent oftentimes as parents. Scripture says this, Proverbs 29, 15, and 17. The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. Discipline your son and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. Notice Scripture doesn't say discipline them today and then not tomorrow. Have one line here today and then shake it up and let the line move tomorrow. A lot of our kids want to know, where are the lines? Why are they always moving? Well, I'm here to tell you, I can be rather inconsistent, okay? I, I get tired sometimes. I can be a Nazi dad one day, be all in line, have marching orders, right? And the next day, I'm like Homer Simpson, okay? And, and it's inconsistent. And it can be very, very dangerous. How many of you can say that you're an Etch-a-Sketch sometimes, okay? can be very, very inconsistent. I know I can. Let's deal with another type. This is what I call the split decision parents. The split decision parents. These are the ones that are often ununified. They disagree. Amos 3.3 says, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so. In other words, you can't walk together unless you both agree to do that. One of the most important things we can do as parents is to agree to keep a unified stance in front of our children. So now let's talk about uh, uh, the real world for a minute, okay? Because divorce complicates things. We all know that. It's very, very difficult. And for example, it t let's take a husband and a wife that, that don't stay married and they barely like each other. Well, kids often learn to play one parent against the other. Well, mom said I could go here and you're not let me and so you're mean. Well, dad would, would buy this for me and, and you're not. And all of a sudden the parents are against each other. And if that's you and your marriage didn't stay together, and you really uh, don't like your ex very much, please, for the sake of your children, do everything you can to keep a unified stance, okay? Let's take blended families. Again, complicated, and what you will hear a lot of times is, well, these are my kids. These are not, they're not your kids, and I'm going to tell you that these are my kids, and those are your kids. Well, I beg to differ. If you get married, you become one flesh, and, and there is no yours or mine. At that point, they are ours, and it is our responsibility to keep a, a unified front in front of our children. If you need to disagree with each other, and, and you will, do it behind closed doors. In front of kids, you stand unified. Do not show any weaknesses, or, or they will take you out the very first chance they have, okay? How many of you could say, uh, yeah, I'm guilty? Oftentimes, I'm ununified in front of our kids, okay? We are divided sometimes. All right, so let's do this. Let's, let's shift gears. Uh, we've looked at some of our own faults. Now, now let's look for a minute at some of the things that we parents should expect from our children, okay, and, and of ourselves. And so this is a great time. If you want your, parent, your uh, children to be listening to this, um, this is what you need to expect from them, all right? There's three of them, all right? The first one is this. We should expect first time and cheerful obedience from our children. First time and cheerful obedience from our children. Let's talk about this. Scripture says, Colossians 3.20, children, obey your parents after they've warned you several times. No, that's not what Colossians 3.20 says. If you look at it, it says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. 
Okay? Notice what Scripture does not say. Scripture does not say, children, obey your mom and dad after they say, cut that out, stop that. Don't, don't make me come over there. I mean it this time. I really mean it. I mean it. Don't make me count to three. You know I will. One, two. Don't give me that look. Two and a half. No, we expect first-time obedience, just as God expects it from us. We expect it from our children. And not only do we expect outward obedience, we expect inward obedience as well. We demand cheerful obedience. Look what Scripture says. Philippians 2.14, do everything without complaining or without arguing. Everything, okay? Put that on your refrigerator. That should be your family memory verse, okay? That way when you, you have it up on the refrigerator and the kids are complaining or arguing, you just point to it and say, do everything without complaining or arguing. Why is this so important? Someone told me this one time, discipline more for attitude than actions, Okay? Discipline more for attitude than actions. Not only would outward obedience matter, but so does inward obedience. And oftentimes, I would argue, it matters even more to discipline for attitude than actions. Okay, For example, what you will see a lot of times, dad comes home and says, son, I heard you were back talking to your mom. I was not. Yes, you were, son. I was not. Son, you can't back talk your mom. Okay, whatever, dad. Son, don't talk to me that way. Fine. Son, you, you give me one more smart back talk, you're going to go to your room. Yeah, yeah, whatever, Dad. To your room then. I'm not going to my room. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Get to your room. Fine, Dad, whatever. Stomp, 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 stomp. Boom. And Dad sits back and says, I showed him. No, no, you didn't, Dad. What you did is you got an outward obedience, but you still have inward rebellion. And we have to work on our kids at all the times, right? At all times, because we have some that will obey us, but they will obey us with what? Attitude. We discipline as much for attitude as we do for action. And when the attitude is right, the actions generally follow. We know that. We expect first time and cheerful obedience. Let's look at another thing that we expect. We agree never to discipline in anger. Okay, never discipline in anger, not under any circumstances. And let me just say, there's way too much of this going on in our world today. The Bible tells us clearly, Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, do not sin. I've got to tell you, this brings up what admittedly is a very controversial subject when it comes to discipline. Okay, It's not the same as what I'm not joking around this time like I was with the 16-year-old driving. I'm being serious on this one, I, and I'm just going to lay it out there. I can, I can already feel the negative emails coming or the negative comments being posted on this. I can feel them, I'm telling you. But at our house, uh, we spanked. And I just want to tell you that. And I tell you that knowing up front that that is a very politically incorrect stance. I know that. But I'm going to tell you until the day I die, I'm going to stand by the fact that it is biblically, uh, a biblically correct stance. And it is one of, my, uh, one of many effective ways to discipline. If our children disobeyed, we would decide on a discipline. Okay? It may be a loss of a privilege, it may have been a, an added responsibility, and it may have been a, a spanking. And, but I, I tell you, I think we only had to spank our kids a, a couple of times. And after we disciplined, we'd hug them, we loved them, and it was very effective. Not politically correct, but biblically correct. Now, those of you who have listened, or, and I hope you didn't shut this off yet, and, and you might be a little angry right now and say, oh man, Pastor Dan, he abuses his children. 
And, and you know what? Part of your argument would, would be this, that, that spanking develops angry, rebellious, violent kids. And so if you believe that, I want you to think for a second. Just think about the people you're around and the people in your, in your community, the people that you know. Um, right now, you are looking at one of the first generations that wasn't spanked, okay? And, and I'm in my mid-40s. And man, when we went to school, you acted up. The coach would get out the paddle with holes in it and bust your butt until you were singing soprano, right? And, and I've shared that story before, but and, and after we got spanked, we would have to sign it. And as he put it up on the wall, you know, we got spanked. The next generation didn't. And so for those of you that are in your 30s or younger, um, you should be, if that, if that principle works, the most compliant peace-loving, gentle generation who's ever lived. Need I go on? Because the last I looked, violence keeps getting worse and worse and worse. I'm just going to leave it there. So at our house, we spanked. And if you choose to at your house, if that's the direction that God leads you, never, ever do so in anger. You strike out and hit your child, let me just tell you right now, you need to repent before God, you need to repent to your children, and you need to get help. And if you do not, one day you will answer to God and you will wish you never, ever harmed one of his little ones. You never, ever discipline in anger, okay? I hope that's understood. And uh, let's just say amen on that, right? So we expect first time and cheerful obedience. We also agree never to discipline in anger. And the number third one, the number three one is we will discipline promptly with instruction and reconciliation, okay? We will discipline promptly with instruction and reconciliation. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Let's talk about instruction, all right? The first thing we do with our kids is we talk to them about what they did. And I ask the question, what did you do wrong? We are instructing them because a lot of times they still don't think it's their fault. They are mad at their brother and sister. You know, they'll be like, my brother took my Barbie away from me, so I hit him on the head because he deserved it. No, we don't hit with Barbies, you know. What did you do wrong? Well, it's his fault. No, tell me what you did wrong. And so what we have to do is bring them to a point of admission that they have sin in an understanding of what they did wrong, okay? And once they admit that, then the second question that I have for them is, how can you handle it better next time? Okay, this is instruction. This is training them ahead of time that God always gives us a way out for whatever and uh, whenever we're tempted. Okay, what is the way out? Well, let's name it ahead of time so that we can make the right decision next time. It's instruction. Then secondly, there is reconciliation. What is that? When you did wrong, this is the punishment. Now you are forgiven. Okay, we hug, we kiss, we pray, and we go about our day never to bring it up again. And what does that do? Well, let me tell you what that does. That plants within our child an understanding of what the cross of Jesus Christ is all about. They, started, they start to understand, maybe intuitively at first and, and then at an even de- deeper level later on, that our sin must be punished and Jesus took the punishment for our sin. And once we believe what he did was enough for us, then God declares us forgiven because justice has been satisfied. And it teaches our children the principles of God's divine economy, even before they are able to understand. And one day they will be able to say, yes, I am saved by grace because Jesus paid the price for me. And they will not take their salvation for granted 
because for the rest of their life, they will be devoted to serving and living for the one who gave his life for them. The verse that we read earlier from Proverbs 19, 18, it said, discipline your son, for in it there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Do not be a willing party to his death. You might be thinking, well, man, that's, that's kind of over the top, isn't it? Well, let me share a small story with you. I had an experience with my daughter. Uh, she was about three years old at the time, maybe four, and we were at the store one day, and we were, as we were leaving, we were walking up to the car to put the items that we had bought in, in the car. I told my daughter to stay right by me while I opened the door and to put her in there first, you know. Well, she thought she'd be a big girl, and she decided to go to the other side and let herself in. And as she was walking around the back of the car, there was a van backing up out of their stall. And, and this is where, uh, where Kaylee was standing, my daughter was standing, the driver could not see her. And she was moments away from getting crushed by this van. And my heart sank the more I said, Kaylee, stop. And she stopped dead on the spot, turned back to me and said, what, daddy? And the van continued. And if I'm lying and I'm dying, the, the, the van missed her by, by, I mean, less than an inch. I'm, I'm telling you that. And I cannot tell you how thankful I am that I didn't have to say, Kaylee, stop. One, two, two and a half. Do you see my point? You see, first they're at three, then at 13, then at 18. All of it is a correction driven by love, not something we, that we do to them because we're mean and nasty and whatever or want to over, overrule them. It is something that we do for them because we want to love them towards righteousness and knowing and serving our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, that concludes another episode of Venture Podcast. I hope you'll join us next week as we wrap up parenthood and we're going to ask the question, now what? We've, we've, we've raised our kids and we've tried to do the right things, but we're still asking the question, now what? We'll talk to you soon. If you'd like to know more about Venture Podcast or Chandler Acres Church, or if you'd like to support this ministry, please visit us at chandleracreschurch.com.